Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that it shapes our lives and our hearts and that you've made yourself clear to us in the passage that we see today. Lord, would you help us all to be open to what it has to say to us? Would you help us to hear Jesus' words afresh uh, today? And then would you put them into action and in the way we live our lives in response? In Jesus' name we pray. Well, if you've been with us for a while, as Dave mentioned, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount here itself for a little bit. Um, and today we're in Matthew 7. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're looking at Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. Now, I think this passage today is about attitudes. If you've noticed on the front of the little handout, Dave's got a little picture there. I think it's about, in particular, how we as followers of Jesus and the followers of Jesus who are listening to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount should change our attitudes if we choose to follow him. See, humans in general have a bit of an attitude problem. One of the biggest problems we have is we can be short-sighted. We can only see things from our perspective. See, I had this problem when I was a kid. I was one of those kids that was super competitive at sport. I wanted to win everything that I played, and I wanted to be the best at whatever I played. I, I was going to be in the Australian team for about six different sports at one stage there. And my problem was that I would get so competitive that if I was playing a tennis match and I lost a point, I'd smash my racket on the ground. If I was playing in the high golf tournament, I'd hit a bad shot, I'd throw my golf club across the course. And my dad would constantly be at me saying, Nathan, you've got to change your attitude. But my problem was, to me, it made no sense. See, I cared about sport, and if I cared about sport, I was going to get angry if I didn't do any good. I wanted to be good. I didn't see from his perspective that the way I was acting was actually causing me to not play that well. It was actually causing me to play worse than if I actually changed my attitude and had a better attitude in the first place. See, what I needed was that I needed someone outside of myself to point out to me what my attitude problem was. Because as human beings, we often don't have the perspective that we need to see what attitudes we need to change. So today in our passage, I think that Jesus is pointing out our attitude problem. And he's asking us to change our attitudes. Our attitudes towards others, our attitudes towards God. And I think there's three things that Jesus is really focusing in on here. And the first of those is that we need to be not judgmental, but willing to judge. You'll see that on your outline. The second is to seek and depend on God. And the third is to follow the golden rule. So first let's jump into that first thing that Jesus seeks to change about our attitude. In verses 1 to 6 we see that we as humans can often have a problem without judgment. So Jesus commands his followers to not be judgmental, but willing to judge. Well, what does he mean? Well, let's look at verse 1. At the start of verse 1 it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And the first question we might ask is, what is Jesus talking about when he says judgment here? What is he talking about when he says do not judge? Does he mean we don't make any judgment calls at all, that we can be completely passive and we have a passive attitude towards making any sort of discernment between right or wrong? Or is he talking about an attitude that is not judgmental? 
Well, I think clearly he's talking about the second thing. Because in later in verse 6, we're going to see that we actually need to be willing to judge at times. So here he's speaking about that attitude of judgment that can be a problem for us. And he challenges his followers to not be judgmental. See, this was a challenge that was really relevant for followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago. They lived in a culture where there was all this sort of social hierarchy where Jews would look down on Gentiles as the unholy people. See, they were the chosen people of God. They were the holy people that God chose. And those Gentiles were just a little bit less than them. I think if we're honest as Christians today, we can slip into this sort of thinking a little bit, can't we? We can often look at the people out there that aren't in our church as just that little bit worse than us. But the warning in this passage is incredibly strong. Look at verses 1 to 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now who is judging us here? Is it those other people that we're relating to, or is it God? Well, I think within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, with what Jesus has said a few verses ago at the end of the Lord's Prayer, there he said, if you don't forgive others their sin, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. I think it makes it clear who's doing the judging here, it's God. And although that might seem like weeks ago for us, or a few weeks ago here at Sol that we looked at that passage, for the people sitting there hearing Jesus speak these words, it was only a few moments ago. And the idea carries across the Sermon on the Mount that the way that we treat those around us can actually affect our relationship with God. And Jesus even says it can affect it so much that we may be in danger of not being forgiven or judged by God. See, this is not sugar-coated words by Jesus here. And I think it's a real challenge to us as Christians today as we think about how we treat others. See, the illustration that Jesus gives following on from this is a, it's meant to be a bit outrageous, outrageous and funny. We heard about it earlier, and, then, and if you can just picture that picture of someone who's got a log, literally a log sticking in their eye, and they're walking around pointing out specks of sawdust in other people's eyes. It's just a bit ridiculous. I mean, as a chippy myself, I was a carpenter before I went to Bible college, and I'm sure Jesus is a fellow chippy himself, would know that just the smallest speck that's in your eye when you're on a building site can it can nearly blind you in that life until you get it out. It starts to water, you can't see properly. There's times I've been on the building side with a bottle of water, washing out my eye for 10 minutes just to clear the vision in that eye. And if that's the sort of vision impairment you get from a single speck, the ridiculous thing here is imagine the vision impairment you would have if you had a full log stuck in your eye. See, it's a ridiculous image. If I was to try to hammer in a nail on the building side with just a speck, I may, may make a wrong judgement call. I might miss the nail, I might hit myself in the thumb. Because without the right vision, without the right perspective, if it's blurred, you can make wrong judgments. Now I think the point we see here is that we can't make those judgments, but God can. See, God is the only one with true 2020 vision when it comes to seeing people's hearts. We as 
semi-blind human beings with logs stuck in our eye shouldn't just go around rushing to make judgments because we can't see properly. We can't see people's hearts. I think as Christians today, we need to hear this warning, this message from Jesus. Because we're not immune to judging other people. People who may have sinned in a way that we don't like. People who might keep making bad life choices that we're sick of. Or people who just from the outside look like they don't fit in with us or fit in with our church. But Jesus says here, who are we to judge? I think Jesus is challenging our attitude towards others. He's challenging us to look at the sin in our own lives before we start judging those who are around us. Now how does this play out? Well, I think it plays out in how we check ourselves before we judge other people. Maybe you see that alcoholic neighbour that's down the road and he's drinking again. Or that family member who just keeps making bad decisions in their life. Or that church friend who made a mistake or hurt you. Rather than rushing to point out their sin and to judge them for it, we should remember that we are sinners too, saved by God's grace. See, it was God's grace that helped us, and it's going to be God's grace that will help them too. So hopefully this is going to motivate us to be compassionate towards them. Maybe willing to forgive those who have wronged us. Or maybe even willing to share the gospel with that drunk who just doesn't fit in. As Christians, we're not meant to be judgmental. But if verses 1 to 5 say, don't be judgmental, well then, in verse 6 we get the counter to that. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, in first reading, this passage seems to be bizarre, doesn't it? I, when I first read this passage, thought Dave's given me another real doozy here to try to preach on. Thanks, Dave. But actually, in the context of what we've just talked about, it makes a bit of sense. See, this is the counter to over-reading what verses 1 to 5 has said to us. Don't be judgmental. See, some people could read those verses and say, okay, it's just not my place to judge. I'm not going to make any judgment calls as a Christian, no matter how people treat me, I can't be judgmental. But in doing so, I think we can rob ourselves of the dignity and the value that we have as humans. The dignity and value that we learnt about last week when Dave preached the passage before this. See, there we saw how valuable we are to God, and we have this inherent value, so we need to find a balance of discernment. We need to not be judgmental, but we need to be willing to discern. So the image of giving sacred things to dogs or your pearls to pigs, it carries the idea that you don't give something of great value to something or someone who doesn't deserve that. And we just heard last week about the value that our lives and our time on this earth carries. And we know the value that we have in the gospel message that we can share. So whilst you shouldn't judge people on face value, there is a call to discern when people are no longer deserving of your time. I think in even very extreme circumstances, there's a time to, deserve, to discern 
when people don't get the privilege of hearing the gospel anymore. Now, while this sounds really radical, shouldn't we as Christians always be willing to share the gospel? Well, there's a lot of passages in Scripture that talk about judging and being discerning and how you do this. Jesus himself, in the very next section, is going to warn his followers about false prophets and encourage them to discern between them by their fruit. Then in 2 Peter 2, Peter uses the exact same language of dogs and pigs to describe the Pharisees. And finally, later in Matthew 15, we're going to hear Jesus again warning his followers to stay away from the Pharisees because they're blind guys. See, there's a discernment in staying away from those people who are there to hurt you. So if you're trying to share the gospel with someone and all they want to do is mock you and insult you, I think Jesus is saying here there's going to become a time when you need to walk away. See, we shouldn't as Christians just be blindly committed to this call of not being judgmental, of just giving all of our time to those people who keep hurting us. No, we have value and we shouldn't just be trampled underfoot or torn to pieces like that. Now I must say that the warning here against this sort of thing is only one verse compared to the five verses of warning against being judgmental. I think our natural attitude errs towards the judgmental side. But we still need to hear this warning of being discerning. Now it doesn't give us the freedom to go, oh they're just a pig or a dog, I won't even give them the chance, no. But in the face of persistent rejection, of hurt and dishonour, there comes a time to move on. So as followers of Jesus today, the first attitude change we need to have is that we shouldn't be judgmental, but we also need to be willing to discern. And can I say that I think as a church we're doing a pretty great job of this. Definitely on the first one, I mean, you guys have been so welcoming to me, to Katie, and as I look out there's a spread of all sorts of people from our surrounding society. I don't think we like to pick people that are just like us here. But it is worth just checking ourselves on this, isn't it? Because sometimes our sin can get in the way and blur our vision and we can judge people too quickly. So let's be continuing to be welcoming, continuing to look to those people outside who may not fit the mould here, who may not look like the kind of people that we would normally like to associate with. Let's look to be not judgmental, but let's also look to be discerning. Now that's the first attitude change I think Jesus looks for from his followers. And if the first one is focused on other people, I think the second one is focused on our attitude towards God. See, this level of self-awareness and discernment that we need in this first section is only going to come from the God that has full 2020 vision. But our problem is we can be so self-reliant, so fixed on fixing ourselves, we forget to go to God. So Jesus' second command is that instead of self-reliance, we need to seek and depend on our God. We see this in verses 7 to 11. In verses 7 and 8 we read, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Now the imperatives here in this passage to ask, to seek and to knock, they carry the sense of continuation. You can almost translate them, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. There's a persistence that we need to continually go to God here. That ought to be our attitude towards God. And did you notice that each command has an immediate response? It's not ask and you know you might receive, seek and you know you might find the right thing, or knock and you know the door may open. No, it's ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. So the question is how do we as Christians today do these things? How do we ask? How do we seek? How do we knock? Well, how do we ask? I think today for us as Christians, the clearest way to ask God is in prayer. We ought to ask God for all sorts of things, and not just our shopping list of things we would like. Our prayers should be filled with asking God for help. Help to remove the log from our own eyes. Help to see our sin. Or help to have opportunities to share the gospel with those neighbours that we don't get along with. Whatever it is, passage here says, ask and keep on asking God for this. And seeking, well, I think the main way we can do that today is reading our Bibles. Now there are many ways that we can seek God in our lives, but I think the, God, the main way that God has revealed himself to us, the main way that we can find him is in his word. It's where we can learn about the Jesus who is speaking these very words to us. See, it's God himself here who is saying to his followers, seek me and you will find me. See, it's not like God is trying to hide away in some secret place. It's not, some people look at the Bible and think there's secret knowledge in there where you're going to look really hard to find God. No, I think, I picture it a bit more like a father who plays hide and seek with his three-year-old. Many of you parents, I'm sure I've played this game. I, as an uncle, have played this game. It's called hide and seek, but when they're young, you don't really hide. You might just like stand behind the couch a little bit and wait for them to find you, but you've always got eyes on them. You're always in the room because the joy of the game is not being really good at hiding. It's about hiding in a place that they can find you and you can celebrate and be together. See, our God is a father who wants to be found. If you want to find him, you don't have to go looking in the cupboard above the fridge or in the neighbor's house. No, you look in the obvious place. You look in his word where he's hiding in plain sight. So seek him in his word. And finally, knock. Well, what's the door that we're knocking on? Well, I think the imagery here in the Sermon on the Mount is that of the throne room of God. So the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew has this focus on this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing in. And in this new kingdom, the king is God himself. He sits on the throne. And unlike the kings and the rulers of the day in the Roman Empire, whose door you would never knock on for fear of being killed, here Jesus says you can walk up to the door, knock, and it'll be open to you. See, we have the privilege, as followers of Jesus, of coming into the very presence of our God. As we pray, as we read his word, and even as we turn up to church, we are living out the reality that we have access to the king. And who is that king? Well, I think we see 
but it's our good Father. It's our good Father who we can ask with confidence. It's our good Father who we can seek out openly in His Word. And it's our good Father who we can knock on the door and have it open to us. See, in verses 8 to 11, Jesus describes what God is like. And we see that He is good, and we see that He wants to give good gifts to His children. And again, Jesus uses this ridiculous illustration to make his point. If you read through verse 9, it says, Which of you, if your son will ask, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, if I was to ask any of your parents that question, would you give a stone for dinner to your children, maybe a venomous steak? It's a ridiculous question, isn't it? The answer is obvious, no. And the point Jesus is making here is ridiculous to think any less than that our Father in heaven is good and he gives good gifts. But you might ask, what are the gifts that God is going to give us? Well, if you look at the parallel verse in Luke's Gospel, Luke has an account of this sort of teaching as well. I think we get a bit of a hint there about these gifts. Luke 11 verse 9 reads, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now you might ask, why, it's, why is it different in Matthew? Why does Luke's version say the Holy Spirit, but here in Matthew it says good gifts. Well, it could be that Luke's version of the events that took place may have taken place at another time. It's not too hard to think that Jesus as a wandering preacher would have talked on the same topics probably more than once. But I think the difference does give us insights into what these gifts that our good Father might give us. And what are they? I think they have something to do with the Holy Spirit. I think that's what we can take from Luke's version. See, throughout the New Testament, there's a lot of mention of the Holy Spirit equipping people with good gifts. Traditionally, people have made lists of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, kind of bringing together all the themes throughout Scripture. But I think Jesus here in Matthew leaves that a bit more open. He just says, the Father loves to give you good gifts. Now, I think we can think of these good gifts as the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the followers of Jesus. And whilst the original disciples hearing this were still waiting for that good gift of the Spirit, because Jesus hadn't died and risen yet, we today, this side of the cross, get to enjoy that gift to its fullest. So as we now live in this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing in and speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, our attitude shouldn't be that God is distant and disinterested, that we are self-reliant and have to do these things ourselves. No, we have seen that Jesus tells us to ask, keep asking, seek, keep seeking, knock, and keep knocking at the door, because your Father is always there for you. And not only is your Father reliable, He also gives you His Spirit. So as we seek and depend on Him, we can accept the good gifts that come through His Spirit's work in us. And these gifts of the Spirit that the Bible often talks about often have a lot to do with serving others. And that brings us to the last point that Jesus makes here. 
And that is, if we're followers of Jesus in this new kingdom, we ought to follow the golden rule. Now this golden rule in Matthew 7 verse 12 is quite a famous passage of scripture. And why the golden rule, you ask? Well, history tells us that this verse, called the golden rule, was supposedly engraved in gold on the wall of Roman Emperor Alexander Severus, who reigned a couple hundred years after Jesus. Hence, it is the golden rule, literally. And that's maybe an interesting quirk in history, but I think more than that, this idea that it's the golden rule in many ways is true, because this passage sums up a lot about what Jesus has been teaching about us and about others in the Sermon on the Mount. See, back in close to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 17 to 20, Jesus told us about how this new kingdom he's bringing in is going to fulfill the law and the prophets in a new way. And then here at the end of our passage, we've read that this golden rule, do to others what you would have them do to you, it sums up the law and the prophets. So if you want a simple verse to live by as we live in this new kingdom, if you want a simple attitude towards others and ourselves to carry with you, then this golden rule is a pretty good one. See, this golden rule gets at the very heart of the kingdom attitude that Jesus is wanting to focus on here. And that is that you should treat others how you want to be treated. Now, I think there's two things to notice here. Firstly, if we're to treat others how we want to be treated, then how do we want to be treated? See, if you're happy to be treated poorly, then this can just be an excuse to treat others poorly too. But if you were here last week, you would have heard about how valuable you are to God. How much God cares for you and treats you. How he cares for you more than the birds of the air or the flowers in the field. How much value you carry as simply being a human. So firstly, if we're going to follow this golden rule attitude, then we ought to understand how we deserve to be treated in light of that truth. As children of God, we have great value. We deserve to be treated in accordance with that. I think that's a bit of what verse 6 was getting at earlier. That we're valuable and we ought not to just be trampled over or treated poorly by others. No, we carry so much value in God's eyes. We need to be treated with the dignity that we deserve. And importantly, that dignity has come from God. See, back in Genesis, all the people were created in the image of God. All people carry that image and dignity that God gave them. And therefore, we ought to treat people with that same dignity that we know we have ourselves. And the second thing I want to notice is that this rule, this golden rule, is an active rule. It's not phrased in the negative. It doesn't say, don't do to anyone something that you wouldn't do to yourself. I've heard that a bit from my parents. Don't do that thing because you wouldn't do that to yourself. See, instead, Jesus here phrases it in the positive. Do to others what you would have them do to you. See, Jesus is commanding an active love of others here. It's not just enough to say, I'm not going to do bad things to other people. No, it's more than that. You need to be active in the way that you love others if you're going to follow Jesus. So, today is a church full of followers of Jesus. 
people who want to hear his word and apply it to our lives. I think we ought to live out the attitude that Jesus is talking about here. We need to be willing to check ourselves before we make quick judgments about other people. And to do that, we need to seek and depend on our good God, who answers prayer and reveals himself in the Bible. Because we know he's a good and loving Father. And finally, we need to be active in how we treat other people with dignity and respect. The same dignity and respect that we ourselves have been given from our good God. How about we pray as we reflect on these things? Our good and gift-giving Father, we thank you that you loved us. Lord, that you gave us the wonderful good gift of Jesus and you've given us your spirit that lives inside of us. Lord, as we hear what your word has to say to us, would you change our hearts? Lord, would you deal with our attitudes that are often rebellious, often running from you, often treating others the way they shouldn't be treated? Lord, would you give us attitudes like your son? Would you give us attitudes that are willing to sacrifice and love others with all our hearts? And would you shape these things as we go into our weeks? Would you help us to see more clearly with eyes that see the way you see and love the way you love? We pray all these things for your glory and in Jesus' name.